uh, it's critically important that we we engage and um, and have the level of respect that we should for our artists. Um, there are a couple of questions that I think is going to be critical that I want each artist to be able to respond to. You know, the motivation behind what it is they paint, the why question. It should always be a why question. Um, having passion, I always think that you should have purpose with your passion. These artists definitely have purpose with their passion. They, um, they speak, and so, um, I'm Lopin, I'll just start with you. You know, why do you paint? Wow. Um, <laughs> well, I, my, my newest style, I guess, from the vinyl, uh, came about when I injured my ankle at a DJing gig. I, I was carrying some records down some steps, and I slipped landed on my ankle and uh, from that I got upset and I started breaking up my records when I went home in my basement. So about three months later I came up with the idea and it's about, been about I guess seven years since I've been working with vinyl. So that was the why. It was you know pain and a lot of things happened. After that I didn't go to the, uh, I didn't go get it looked at. I kept working on it and uh, one thing led to another and I became really isolated. So then it was just me and some records and I just ended up uh, using them. So that's the why. Thanks, Robert. Roger? Oh, um, I think my motivation is uh, clearly uh, culture, uh, especially uh, black culture. I think it's very important as an artist to, uh, to document our times. Uh, so I'm real interested in documenting my time here because um, I absolutely refuse to let someone do it for me. So I, I, I want to do that through, um, through my art. And that's, that's kind of that's really my passion, and that's really what drives me. Um, literally every day I paint, or I'm thinking about painting, and um, you know, that's, that's just how I feel. Thank you, Roger. Bill? Uh, for me, fine art photography, my background is actually to re-examine uh, social, political, and identity issues uh, dealing with the, the photographic image from an African-American perspective. So what I would do is uh, just moving in a direction where I would uh, break away from traditional photography and use alternative processes to uh, just to explore the medium from an abstract presence and then take it into uh, uh, identity and uh, cultural concerns. Right. Um, I, I knew uh, early on in my practice that my art was about um, well, my predestination as an artist was directly tied into my love and uh, burden for my community. So my work is really about reaffirming, reaffirming uh, my humanity and the humanity of the community and also creating beauty to juxtapose the images that we see in mass media um, and to, um, you know, celebrate the culture that, um, that we love. Thank you, Ray. Bye. Can you ask the question again? <laughs> Why? 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 <laughs> what drives you to paint? Why do you paint? The purpose of your painting? Um, I'm a, so I'm that the imprint I want to leave is on people and not on creating objects. So the things I make and create um, support the people, the organizations, the ideas that I believe in. So um, rather than making the monolithic thing, that exist into the ages, I'd rather imprint on people um, that can exist in that way. So everything I do is in connection. So that's the why, because that's what I want to leave. Thank you, Fahim. 
we're challenged because we only have one microphone. So if you guys want to come up a little bit closer, I'm challenged. Can you guys hear? No. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll talk louder. Okay, we'll talk louder. Um, I just want to step back and talk about the association between the Harlem Fine Art Renaissance and the um, Chicago Renaissance that started in 1910, between 1910 and, and 1940. And uh, really, two, one main distinguishable characteristic that I, that, I, that I realized between the two is that um, although the Harlem Fine, uh, the Harlem Renaissance, had a, had a lot of recognition and notoriety. At the same time, Chicago was grinding um, and celebrating culture uh, with the same propensity and, and love that was happening in Harlem. Um, and when you read the history, you see a lot of the, um, the participation with the Jewish community um, with the Harlem Renaissance, and sort of when, when they left that community, the, the Renaissance sort of to, to dissipate, but, um, the Chicago community kept it going and kept it kept it kept it flowing. And um, in my travels, you know, I always wonder why I never saw the artists from um, Chicago out on the road as much. But it was not until I came here and, and, and got some opportunity, I realized the nurturing um, environment, you know, of, of nurturing and um, and and supporting the artists. So it's a, it's a very unique environment that I'd like to see. The, um, sort of franchise throughout the United States on what do we do with our wonderful cultural resources. Now, I will tell you this, and you guys may want to challenge me, I don't think we're in the art business. We're in the culture business, and our culture is priceless. And so when I look at these artists, I, I want you guys to know that there's a, a real love uh, for the reverency of what they do. Unabashing, unabatingly, unapologetically, um, they speak to who we are, and that's going to last into perpetuity. So with that said, the next question I want to ask the artist, and I'll start with Fahim from the other side. What is your greatest challenge as an artist? Hmm. What is my greatest challenge as an artist? Well, I mean, think about where we are. I mean, it's making money, right? <laughs> I mean, that's it. I mean, it's like, I'm, I'm guessing that everyone on the panel, the majority of people in the room, want to be full-time artists. Raymond, would you like just make your art full time? Oh uh, yes, sir, I would. Yeah, and, and be able to make a statement. <laughs> right. I mean, so look. Well, at, I do actually. Well, yeah, that's right. You so you. I do. You want so. But you, I would like to do it at fruit. a higher level. Right. Exactly. You wanted to. I mean, you know, it's it's a struggle, right? And and I think in a lot of ways, where you're talking about culture and like how do you take cultural capital and change it into actual capital? Um, so in a lot of ways, it's it's hard to think about these really big, grandiose ideas when you're trying to sell your work in a booth and you're trying to drive people into here to do that and you're paying booth fees and things like that. So I think um, it's hard to get to some of these larger ideas. So we need a diversity of people thinking about it. We need support. We need art appraisers. We need art historians. We need them to come into our studios. We need them to write books, you know? We need support because we need collectors, you know? So yeah, I, I, you know that's the challenge. I think that is a at its nutshell. He he answered the question for everybody. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I really, he really answered the question for everybody. I mean that's that's definitely it's, where it's we on are. Point. <laughs> Bill, you want to? Say yeah, that? I think you know looking at my background, you know starting out like in art fairs and in different galleries uh, with my work, I the biggest challenge for me was curatorial practice. Uh, 
actually conducting shows where there's uh, important themes that, that are related to African the African-American experience or it could be something on a global scale. So I think, uh, I think uh, exploring uh, philosophical ideas or, 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 or social relevancy uh, that, that brings a relationship between art, culture, and practice. I think th those are, and, and bringing that together in a, a cohesive format is uh, very important. Um, challenges, I mean, an obvious challenge is time uh, uh, to create when you, when you do have to work, um, as well as being able to create your art. But I think one of the, one of the challenges that I've, I've struggled with is, is bringing along brand new collectors. Uh, there needs to be a new wave of collectors, uh, maybe a, a certain age group, maybe the, it's hard to justify with a lot of my friends about, you know, spending 300 bucks on a pair of gym shoes compared to investing in culture. I mean, you're not necessarily investing in art, you're investing in our culture. I mean, our culture been hijacked in the 80s, so we need to take it back. And um, you can do that via art, and um, I think that's one of the more challenges. So we need these new collectors to come in and, and, and sustain that, that energy. Okay. Over. Uh, for me, I guess it would be balance, like balance between creating and business, balance between family and art, balance between traveling and staying at home. I, for me, it's just balance. Uh, I've been full-time for about two years, and I don't know. I, I didn't initially start out wanting to be a full-time artist or even think I could do art full-time. So it was imbalanced when I would just work all the time. And I would get up before I went to work, two hours, go to work. I'd have two 15-minute breaks I would do artwork on. I'd eat lunch at my desk, then I'd work through my lunch, doing artwork. I'd get home, play with my kid, he goes to bed at 8, 8.30, I do work from 8.30 to 11.30, then I'd do it again. Then Friday I would get excited because I could do eight hours, of eight, uh, eight hours <laughs> to 10 hours of work because I didn't have to work on Saturday. Get up, play with my kid, 12 hours on Saturday, 16 hours on Sunday, and I did it for five years. So that was a lot of things I didn't do. Um, I didn't go out. Christmas I'm working, Halloween I'm working, wow. New Year's Eve I'm working. So it was unbalanced. So I went from that extreme, now I don't work as much as I used to, just got, got kind of burnt out. But it's just balance for me is really challenging. Um, balance between what you want to do and what collectors want. It's like DJing, that's where I get most of my <laughs> inspiration from. So it's like the collectors are the, are the, are the crowd. You know, you're the DJ you know what they need to make themselves move, and you also know what you kind of want to work in, so if you win the crowd, you can kind of put in your own remix, you can do something that you can, you can flip it in a way that's kind of decent, but that's the challenge, it's like winning the crowd again and again, the next song you gotta win the crowd, and the next song you gotta win the crowd, you gotta keep the crowd, you always gotta keep the crowd. It's that balance between keeping the crowd and also keeping your integrity and what you want to do as well, so a balance. Thank you, Logan. Um, now I want to touch on history, history of African-American artists. And we can go w, past the WPA moment with, with Duncanson and Tanner, and then we look at um, um, Jacob Lawrence from Weird Beard and those folks who benefited from the Works and Progress Administration. And we can move to when we first hit national primetime television with Ernie Barnes. Uh, subsequently, seven years later, we had Different World, and we had some of our contemporary artists 
being shown and showcased. And, um, you know, I realized, wow, no matter what, you know, the artists have an undenying spirit to be heard and, and, and seen, and we find a way. Um, for the last um, 20 years, it's been that entrepreneurial spirit to keep us going because we still have not gotten the, the kind of recognition and notoriety that, that, that other artists um, have, have, have received. But it's, it's starting to happen. But it's tiered. And um, there is definitely a, a level of elitism in the art community. You know, with that said, and looking at history and how artists have overcome certain obstacles, I want to ask the artists, what artists, what past artists inspired you the most? Logan, I'll start with you on this side. I don't, I don't really have one. I don't really have one at all. I, I didn't start doing artwork because somebody else did. It was just something I always would do. And I think it's like when you grow up, you just listen to music, and then after a while, you learn who's big and who's not what culture listens to this music, what culture and age group listens to that music, and then you begin to section everything off. So I always try to think of that time period where it was like, I knew I liked I Shot the Sheriff because my father would play it in the Deuce and a Quarter when we'd be going on road trips and stuff. Like, I didn't know it was Marley, I didn't know the significance, but I just liked it. And um, I can't really say any artist that has, has stuck out to me that I would mention. I just, that's not my, okay. that's not my thing. Roger? Uh, I tend to, uh, I don't think I really had a, I was influenced by a certain artists. I was more so influenced by, uh, by family. Um, my, my brother and my mom uh, were artists, and my brother is eight years older than me, and I wanted to do everything he wanted to do. I, I just couldn't, do it, you know. But when I got older, when I got older, I could probably beat him up. But he uh, he he was an artist, and I wanted to really follow everything he did. I wanted to do. Uh, he played sports. I wanted to do it. He, he he drew. I wanted to do it, and that really inspired me. And then, you know, I kind of got my own personality and my own style um, that way. So that. I'm glad he's not here. He's never heard me say that. But <laughs> that's, he yeah, he'd probably come up on stage. <laughs> He'll probably come up on stage. <laughs> Thanks, Roger. Yeah. yeah, for me, I would say Romain Bairdon, uh, because of his uh, approach to collage and alternative uh, process in uh, art making. I think it, it moved me to really sort of to, uh, to reevaluate uh, art as a practice, and so I think he was you're very inspirational for me. Okay. Mm -hmm. Raymond? Um, several. Uh, I'm a big fan of Romare Bearden's, big fan of uh, Jean-Michel Basquiat, but it was, uh, it was when I came to the Art Institute in 84 um, where I, I really uh, discovered um, Africobra and uh, the, the mission of Africobra of uh, Wadsworth and all those, all those incredible artists. Um, and um, it was interesting going to that school where they uh, did their best to tonalize your culture in a way that uh, uh, it was no tone to it, no, no soul to it, no culture, no color to it. And uh, I had an instructor, Bertrand Phillips, who was a, a renowned artist as well. He said, you need to check, because I was going through it. I was about to kill myself. I felt like I was going to kill myself. And he said, you need to check out these, uh, this group. And so he introduced me to uh, Africobra, and that changed my life. Uh, my work now is very centered on their mission, which was uh, art for the people. 
and I believe that a lot of that has been lost in a lot of the academic uh, droning that we hear about what is art and what is good art and what is relevant art. I think in these times, the, the mission of AfriCobra is even more relevant and needed, where we uh, create images that people can galvanize to, to juxtapose what is in play for, uh, in a, for our psyches now. Thank you, Raymond. Um, so I think about this a lot, but I think a better way to ask the question is, um, so I think about my art family. So my grandfather is Richard Hunt, right? Uh, my grandmother is Elizabeth Catlett, and a lot of it's based on distance. Um, I have two grandmothers, Margaret Burroughs and Elizabeth Catlett. Um, my art father is uh, Carrie James Marshall, no question um, about it. Not so much because of the aesthetic influences, but more of the, the engagement, what I get out whenever I, whenever I do, the few times I have talked to him. Um, someone just asked me this yesterday, brought up, because I said this on the radio before. I haven't quite figured out my art mother yet. My, uh, my, 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 my aunt or, or big sister is Diane, no question because we fight it out all the time, um, right? Um, my art brothers, you know, uh, the Astor Gates is a, a big brother of mine, uh, no question. And I have a whole maraud of sisters because, you know, just, just numerous sisters, too many to name. Um, so yeah, these are the people who have influences on, on my work as kind of artists and ideas within the art world. But then also, uh, to your point, you do, you know, Loman, you do have a lot of art influences, but yours are musicians. Right. So I mean, you have a, your records show, like all the, like I'm, I'm, I'm wondering a little bit what you're listening to while you're making those pieces. <laughs> like, so those are influences, right? There are, they're just different types. Um, so, so yeah, those are some of my uh, influence, my family. That's still, one day I'm gonna do a family tree. We should all do family trees. I appreciate that, yeah. we all do deep. Um, you know, as an artist, as we continue to grow, we're, we're, we're challenged between um, fine art and commercial art. And, uh, you know, I definitely have my thoughts about that in the marketplace because, you know, in the belly of capitalism, you know, you celebrate everything and you institutionalize and you take it to market. And so when I'm into the museums, you know, I get this wonderful plethora of propaganda about how great this art is and the titles and the periods and so forth and whatnot. But as I exit the museum, I'm exiting through the gift store. And I think about the high level of merchandising and licensing that happens at the museum level. And then, you know, there's nothing about the commercialization of a museum taking art to market. But we look at our artists out here who are trying to define themselves from their point of reference and taking their art to market and taking care of their families. And, and, and we sort of prejudice ourselves in collecting these artists that are trying to make a living. And, and, and speaking to their culture, not just their art. You know, I often, I've fought with this for several times um, out here. You know, I'm getting an opportunity to showcase in museums and, and getting special interest projects. But I want to hear from the artists how, how they're, they're dealing with that, you know. And sometimes when we're navigating and we're trying to figure out, should I do fine art, should I do commercial mm -hmm. art? You know, you know, how the collector's gonna look at me at the end of the day. And, um, we're not honestly giving that artist that opportunity to really, you know, find themselves on their journey. Sometimes we hamper them when we put them in that in that box, you know, because they they have to, they have to survive. 
And if, if I don't have that, that, that level of financial support between the collectors out there to sustain a living as an artist, and we know what it takes to sustain ourselves and our family. Um, so, with that said, Fahim, I'm going to start with you on that one. If you don't mind engaging it. Um, I wrote something down here um, that often, uh, this was advice that was given to me by my art father. Um, that I often share too. It's really about what do you want to achieve. There's lots of different types of art, right? And there's a difference between uh, money, uh, power, and success, right? So they're all kind of different versions of success. So really the question is, where do you, what do you want to achieve? It's also they said one year, five year, 10 year, 20 year goal, right? What do you want to achieve? Who are the models? that you're looking to, like if you look at, I want to be like that person in 20 years or 10 years, or I want to achieve that, and then backtracking and say what things did they do to get to there? And then just do that, right? So I do want to be in museums, right? I do want to be collected, and, and some of these things have happened, but the money doesn't necessarily go with that, right? If you want to make money and be really rich, then you need to think about the market. You need to think about things like Target and shops and sell small things that you can smell really fast, really quick, necessities. Right? But I don't think that's necessarily what gets you into museums. You know? So just being really clear about what it is you want to do, because you can't do it all. You can try to do it all, but one is contrary to the other. You know, if you're smelling switchblades here, right, and then you're trying to get in a museum there, I mean, it's, once again, it's like it's not a, a saying one is more successful than the other. It's just one kind of exists in one space, and, you know? Um, so, so that's. I think that answers the question kind of in a roundabout way, but it's advice that I would give. I think it's a very precarious uh, journey and a balance that we are all trying to figure out as artists is how do we do uh, uh, work and, uh, and like Fahim saying, it's about what your mission is, your own personal mission, and why, you, why you're even uh, aspiring to do this thing and what level you want to be at and where those levels are. I mean, for me, my mission is totally just to be a blessing to my people. So now, with that, with that, uh, learning craft and culture all helps to, for me to speak to that to that mission, uh, and inquiring um, about ways to get that mission seen or experienced by the most people. And um, I don't necessarily, you know, I, I leave it up to the creators to provide, but I also put in the work to be in the right conversations. To, um, to help facilitate that mission statement. So also I think a lot of us, we need to uh, look towards, um, you know, we, we're out here hustling, trying to get it, but also uh, grants and scholarships and fellowships to help. Uh, I've recently started to, to uh, go those routes and been uh, successful in attaining uh, funding for projects, public art projects, and also um, grants to help facilitate the practice. So. I think that's another way we all, as artists should definitely try to get our mission to the people. Yeah, I think uh, I want to touch on what Raymond said, and I think that's important. For me, uh, receiving a grant from the University of Chicago to create a, a biotechnical garden in a public space for sculptors uh, uh, to present their work. Uh, it was challenging, but I felt that uh, there was uh, funding that came in that gave some su sustainability to, to my presence as an artist. So I think I've, I mean, there's, there's just a, the task at hand 
And how do you find that, that flexibility? I mean, we can go to art fairs, uh, the grants, and then there's other options. But, you know, for me, uh, receiving, uh, you know, the grant proposals were important. Roger. I'm more in agreement uh, with Raymond. Um, I'm not necessarily motivated uh, by money uh, selling my art. I mean, we all want to make money, of course, but I mean, I have a job. Uh, it pays decent. Uh, I'm able, I'm free to kind of do what I want to do as far as my personality. I'm not trying to, you know, fit in a certain sector and so on and so forth. It's just more so of, you know, again, I just want to document my time here, our time here, uh, the way I see it. And I think I have that flexibility and that's, that's, that's kind of what I think about that situation. Logan? I, I think all these, uh, these comments are what I would say. Um, again, it, to, for me it goes back to balance and what I'm willing to lose or put up with down whatever path maybe that uh, may be before me. Um, I like doing that Malcolm X piece that I do. I've done that thing plenty of times. Everyone's pretty much seen it, you know. And if you let some people tell it, or a lot of other things that I do repetitively, but my take on it versus maybe an institution's take on it versus a museum's take on it varies. So do I want to just make one? for to say, well, it's original, and this is just an example. Or do I want to take a second path and say, well, I want as many people as possible to have this if they're buying it for the right reason. If you're buying it because you buy one of ones and you want a certain thing like that, then do that. But that's not what I made that for. I made that for all the people that that resonates with. But that plays against me if you go to certain individuals if you go to certain academic figures, if you go to certain institutions, here even, shows like this from what I heard from my OG, my mentor. He said to me, hey, you doing these shows in terms of like price points and like, from what he was explaining to me and how I took it, he was saying like, listen, you're gonna need somebody to move the work for you because it's hard to like, evaluate price points. Because you said it was six, but you may have sold it for three or four or something like that. So there's no, I guess, validity sometimes in doing certain shows like these to other people. So it's like, what do you want to do? Then do you want to take the route of giving it to the gallery? They're the voice of authority in many, in many people's eyes. Yeah, you can do that, but you're going to give them a certain percentage for that. And then you won't know who you sold it to at times. I met so many people that I so worked to yeah. just in these two, three days I'd have never met if I'd have still been going through the gallery. And it's cool to meet these people, for them to tell you their story. Um, and, you, and for you to have that connection, that's kind of like lost. So you'll have all these different variables. For me, I feel I have all these different variables of what do you want to do and what do you want to give up to get to a place? Do you want to be remembered? I already have that, okay? And it doesn't need to be a lot of institutions. So one or two will do for me. So my son's son can go see something like, oh yeah, Loban did that, besides a grave or something weird like that. Um, <laughs> that I mean, that's just how I think. So I, what are you willing to give up? And what do you, once you get it, do you really want it? I don't, those are the things that I think about. So I'm kind of undetermined. 
right now on which path to take because I don't really know what it will take and what you will gain and what you will lose. This is pretty amazing. It's um, 12.49. We got about 10 minutes before we do the Q&A. And um, I just I want to um, make a statement and then talk about um, um, you know, each of the artists and you know, uh, the background, uh, the validation. Um, it's so important for us to define ourselves from our point of reference. Typically, uh, that does not happen for our community, African-American community. You know, that level of validation, if you're gonna be a celebrated, successful artist, typically in mainstream, you gotta go through the museums and so forth and whatnot. But when I look at the challenges in our community, everything is of value at every level, every stage of development. And, and for the artist, it's not just the artist's responsibility to, to do it all. And 30 plus years, I still see the artist doing it all. And um, at some point, our community has to step up and take the risk and realize the value of what these artists are offering and to preserve our culture and heritage and history into perpetuity. And with that said, that's a high priority that we, we nurture and, and manage that. So when these artists are bold and audacious enough to come out and um, put it all out in front, and it ain't come out upside down. You know how you buy a brand new car and once you walk off the lot, you know, it has no value. Well, every artist, if you do a P&L, profit and loss, conservatively is about $7,500 into a show before they sell a piece of artwork. And, um, um, I think it's admirable that they're courageous enough to do that. And then when I look at that and I look at the totality of the art market, and at the highest level, um, it really woke me up when I saw the screen move from $40 million to $120 million in less than 10 minutes. And I said, wow, look how they drive the economy of culture, not art, of culture, in that one room. One painting just sold at auction uh, beginning of the year for $300 million. $300 million, and I said, wow, what was the manifestations of that? So the former CEO of Sotheby's owned the piece, he broke the deal to one of the kings over at Qatar and sold it for $300 million, one painting. I was on Martha's Vineyard this, this, this summer, and it was a philanthropic conference, and um, Dr. Frederick from Howard University stepped up and says, my institution has the largest um, endowment of historical black colleges and universities. It was $560 million. I said, that's to be commendable. And I said, did you know at auction, a painting sold for $300 million? That's five-eighth the value of your endowment. So when I look at the potential of our artists, on this stage and in this room, each of those artists have that potential to make that happen. There's a responsibility that we derive that value from where they're at, what position of authority that they speak from, whether it's at the embryonic stage, the mid-career stage, the established stage, or the deceased stage. We have to see that value and leverage that. That's a communal responsibility. That's not left up to the artist. So I know what the challenges of each of these artists are. They all do it a little bit differently, but it comes to be, it's, it's, it, it, it happens to be the same for each artist out there. So when I look at this show and I say there's no provenance after five years of a catalog of artists, that's just not the artist's responsibility. That's just not the show's responsibility. That's our responsibility and resources that we have. We have to build that kind of provenance for the artist. So I'm going to end there. I'm going to open the floor up for discussion and dialogue for Q&A. 
Um, and um, each of these artists has, has are trailblazing. You know, they have their own artistic DNA. Um, I'm not going to charge them and say, you know, where you see yourself in five or ten or fifteen years, because I know they have that. But that's you guys can engage those questions, and, uh, and I'm more than sure you'll get the um, the honest answer. This Najee Dorsey, you listen to another installment of Via Talks. Be sure to follow Black Art in America at blackartinamerica.com and look for us on your favorite social media platform, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. And remember, you can always shop for art online at www.buyblackart.com.